0: Hello and welcome to the 2022 inaugural PTC Awards show where Logan and I will give our picks for the four major individual baseball awards, MVP, Cy Young Rookie of the Year, and Manager of the Year. Uh, We had lots and lots of deserving candidates, of course, from all across baseball this year. Um, Plenty of tight races and tough calls, so let's get into it.
1: So, as Johnny mentioned, we got our first time doing these awards here on PTC Podcast. Very exciting times here. Um, We want to preface a little bit beforehand. These are not predictions. This is not what we think is going to happen. This is what we think should happen. This is what we would do if we were voting. So, just want to put that out there into the world. Um, But yeah, we're going to be going over MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Manager of the Year, kind of the top four ones there. and. Uh, Yeah, just kind of see how things shake out here. Johnny and I have not talked before this, so we have no clue where each other's minds are at. So this will be fun. It'll kind of be a live reaction for both of us as well to each other's lists.
0: All right, sounds good. So let's kick it off with the MVP discussion, National League, of course. So we've got pretty much a top three in in general consensus. The three finalists announced by the BBWAA, uh, the Baseball Writers Association of America are Manny Machado, Paul Goldschmidt, and Nolan Arenado. And I, th- I would say that that's a-, a fairly consensus top three. Would you agree? Yes, though, I will say when
1: I was doing my rankings, um, because like like we said, Johnny and I did not necessarily just go off of the top three that were announced. We were allowed to go outside the realm of those. Um, I did include Freddie Freeman in there, and there's part of me that really did want to put him in there, um, and, and we'll see if I was able to or not. but yeah, it was, Freddie Freddie had a really, really good year.
0: So I had Freeman as well, and I also had someone else, uh, someone by the name of Sandy Alcantara. Did you consider him? Interesting. It's funny,
1: um, and yeah, this kind of leads down a whole, another rabbit hole, but I am opposed to pitchers. Uh, I should say POs, pitcher (laughs) only, because we'll get into Otani in a bit, but I am opposed to pitchers winning MVP. Uh, I am of the school of thought that to win a most valuable player award, you need to play every day. And that also comes with the uh, title that Cy Young Award is essentially the pitcher's version of MVP in my mind. So uh, for me, no,
0: Alcantara was never even. I was really hoping you were going to say that because I have a very prepared counter-argument. So, (laughs) um, the top three candidates, Machado, Goldschmidt, Aranato, all had between 620 and 650 plate appearances. Freeman had a little bit more he played in every single game except one. He had 708 plate appearances. Sandy Alcantara, do you know how many batters he faced this year? Oh, I mean, I'm sure it's more than that. 886 to lead the league. So you can't tell me that's less of an impact. He faced more batters. He basically, essentially, in, in the pitcher's version of plate appearances, had significantly more than any of the position player candidates. You
1: know, I, I really respect that argument, and I think that's fair to say for sure. I guess my counter to your counter would be, look at the game itself, right? Alcantara can have an impact on one singular game, Every five games the Marlins played, uh, Freeman, Machado, Goldschmidt, Arenado—they can have an impact on 152 games. I think it's about what they all played um, games a season. You know. Meanwhile, I think Alcantara ended up with 32 starts, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, that's kind of where I—that's kind of why I have my argument. I totally see what you're saying, but for me, it's more of a game basis than it is a at-bats slash batter space right. basis. Well,
0: we can agree to disagree on that, but let's get into some breakdowns here. So personally, for me, I don't know what Logan considers, but I considered basically, uh, what is this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight categories. And that might be a lot, but some of them are kind of related. So first of all, just simply, what is your position? Is it a position that is you know, highly defensively valuable. So center field, shortstop, second base catcher up the middle positions. Um, the kind of second tier would be third base, right field. And then, you know, left field, first base is kind of, a, uh, you know, not as valuable. Just you don't have to have the defensive skill sets of the other positions. And then of course, DH is um, another category entirely. No, no defensive value. So first of all, is your position. I think that's important to consider. Uh, because the same offensive numbers don't mean the same thing. You know, first basemen have a league-wide weighted runs created plus of, I think, 110 or something. And short stops is probably like 95 or center fielder's 90, something like that. So I think that's important to consider. And I think a lot of people um, kind of miss that sometimes. And then secondly is your plate appearances. And then for pitchers, I guess, batters faced. Um, because, you know, you've got to have an impact on as many plays, as many games as possible. And then thirdly, um, the main offensive stat that I consider is WRC+, weighted runs created plus. And I think we've mentioned this before. Um, It's really an all-encompassing offensive stat that um, was developed. I'm not entirely sure who developed it, but several contributors in the early 2000s. Um, in the kind of wake of the Bill James sabermetric revolution. And it's it aims to capture um, a, a player's entire offensive value compared to average. So 100 is average, 110 would be 10% above average, 115 is 15% above average, 90 would be 10% below average, etc. Um, and then I also consider two defensive stats, DRS and OAA, DRS, defensive runs saved, is a traditional metric. So we can go back and look at, say, you know, Mickey Mantle's DRS. Like we can we can calculate that for anybody. It's just based on chances, errors, um, you know, outfield assists, stuff like that. So it's it has its purposes, but I trust it a little less than OAA, which is outs above average. And that is a stat cast metric, which says basically here's where the fielder started uh here's where the ball was hit so they had to get they had to cover a certain amount of range in a certain amount of time and this is how fast the runner was um, so they had to throw him out in you know a certain amount of time and it basically creates a percentage probability for every play to be completed so i i slightly prefer that defensive metric but i also consider drs as well and then the next one I consider is Fangraph's base running runs, BSR. I don't put too much weight on this, but I also like to know if a player is a plus base runner or not, uh, because I feel like that can tip the balance on uh, for close races. And also it's just a kind of something that's, that used to be intangible, you know, um, like as in this guy's really putting in the effort to to make sure his team wins, even in the small things on the field, like base running that um, don't get noticed too much. And it's not just, you know, how many stolen bases do they have? It's a lot about going first to third, second to home, first to home, etc. cetera. Um, so I, I think that's uh, kind of an underutilized stat there. And then the last two are the two versions of war. So Fangraph's war and baseball reference war. Um, they both have their uses and their slight differences. And I will say for war that the difference has to be probably at least half a win before I consider it really a difference. So the top four position player candidates all have between 7.1 and 7.4 F war. And I would say that's a four-way tie. There's really nothing to distinguish 0.2, 0.3 war uh, over an entire season. So before I get into... How these players fared in each of those categories? Do you want to break down your uh, evaluations?
1: Yeah. So I, um, I had a. I put up a lot of stats that I'm not going to all get into because I use a lot of them, um, and most of them were up there as kind of like you said. If there's something I just can't decide, um, and I need a like a somewhat of a tiebreaker. So some of the big ones that I was looking at from an offensive perspective. Um, I made sure to put in games at-bats. I wanted to make sure that everyone was, you know, someone wasn't getting like 100 less at-bats, um, which can also be a benefit if you put up more war and less at-bats. That's also somewhat of an impressive feat. But um, I was, I did put batting hours in there, uh, though I didn't really use it to, uh, per se. Um, some of the biggest things I, I wanted to look at was on base percentage plus, slugging percentage plus, and ops and then wrc plus so all of those kind of weighing where all the ones that have the plus at the end um essentially weigh how you are um above the average of everyone else in the league with on base percentage slugging and And also
0: um it's important to note that the plus also means it's uh weighted for park factors so if you have a you know, three ERA at Coors Field. That's a lot more impressive than a three ERA at, you know, camarica uh, Comerica park or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I did
1: use DRS and, um, OAA, sorry. I used DRS and OAA and then war. I did not put too much into base running. Um, I think it's fair to say that I can deliver a difference in a close race, but I'm not huge on that. Um, I did put stolen bases in here in case something like that happened, but no, I, I didn't do much on base running if that even came into consideration at all. But yeah, those are kind of the main ones. And like I said, I have probably 10 or other ones, but they're all just kind of basic and I barely
0: even use them in my consideration. So those are kind of the main ones that I considered. All right. So let's get into my, uh, kind of analysis here so for i'll talk about the position players first and then kind of alcantara separately so i already said that um machado goldschmidt arenado all had similar played appearances freeman has a slight edge there um, machado and arenado get get pluses for playing third base and freeman and goldschmidt i kind of dinged a little bit you know for playing first base not as much of a skill position defensively um Goldschmidt has the clear edge with Weighted Runs created Plus. He was the best offensive player by far out of the three of them. He's at 177, uh, which is obviously insanely elite. 77% better than the average player. Almost, almost twice as good as the average player. Uh, the other three were obviously great as well. They were all in the 150s in WRC Plus. Uh, but clear edge to Goldschmidt there. And then as for defense, um, Machado... Rated out at minus three DRS and plus eight OAA. Um, So I took that to be a somewhat minor positive there because I trust OAA more than DRS. Um, And kind of the flip-flop of that, Goldschmidt rated as plus two DRS and minus six OAA. So that's a little negative for him. Obviously, Aronato, completely stellar, plus 19 on DRS and plus 15 on OAA. Um, And I should mention Machado... His stats took a, a major hit in July when he was playing with an ankle injury. His range was significantly got down. So, um, not that that should be necessarily, uh, you know, counted in his favor or something. But that's kind of the explanation for why his defensive stats took a bit of a hit there. And then Freeman was about even. He was minus two DRS, plus three OAA. Not really much either way there. Um. So Arenado clearly the best on defense Machado a distant second and Goldschmidt and Freeman, not really bringing much to the table there. Um, and then if we look at the war, so all of them had about the same F war, just a bit over seven and B war Goldschmidt and Arenado were up near eight. Machado was at seven and Freeman's at six. So interesting that um, baseball reference really likes the work of Arenado and Goldschmidt, not so much Machado, and it really doesn't like Freeman. And I'm assuming that's because of his, uh, poor DRS at first base minus two. I know, uh, baseball reference uses DRS to do their, uh, defensive war calculations. So looking at that, you have the big edge on offense to Goldschmidt, the big edge on defense to Aronado, um, Obviously, offense is generally considered more important than defense in our game, but Arenado plays a more valuable position at third base. Machado kind of splits the middle, um, also plays third. His offensive stats are almost identical to Arenado, and his defense is slightly worse or somewhat worse. Um, But then the kind of intangible thing here is... How much do you value the fact that Machado was essentially alone on his team? He doesn't have another MVP candidate behind him, whereas Goldschmidt and Arenado teamed up in the same lineup. Um, And even Freeman had uh, Trey Turner and Mookie Betts as well with all-star caliber years. So, I don't know. I'm going to turn that over to you, actually. What do you think about that argument, Logan? Yeah, no, it's definitely something I considered, especially because... It was so close.
1: I think the intangibles for me are kind of what I use when races become close. Um, I, I'm definitely a statistics-oriented guy. I don't like uh, when people vote based off of just pure emotion and and things like that. That's just not ever me. But I, especially with this race with the top four, and I know you have a fifth guy, but the top four for me, I kind of had to look at one at some point and say, hey, who really? had the intangible carrying of a team and you'll see when we talk about what our official ballots are how that affected mine but it's completely a valid argument
0: that's true so um yeah and as you said it's very close so kind of looking at my base running which I neglected to mention Machado and Goldschmidt were both plus three plus base runners so it's very solid Freeman was even better plus 5.4 that's really elite um you know you might not think of him as a good race runner because he doesn't steal bases but He's got really good reads. He takes first to third a lot. Um, And yeah, just a a great overall base runner. Arenado was at minus 1.6, so that's a slight negative to him. Um, But yeah, super close race. So now let's bring in the pitcher for me, Alcantara. As I said before, 886 batters faced. I think that weighs in hugely because he affected more plays than anyone else on the list or really anyone else in baseball, because that was the most batters faced in baseball. Um, he threw almost 230 innings, which is unheard of in today's game. Six complete games, 207 strikeouts. Baseball reference awarded him with eight war. Fangraphs was slightly less bullish at six war because it uses FIP and not ERA. Um, and I'll get into this with the uh, Cy Youngs later, but I do not prefer to use Fangraph's war for pitchers. Um, Well, they have a separate war, which is RA9 war, but their primary pitching war is based on FIP. And when I'm using, when I'm doing an MVP discussion, Cy Young discussion, or even a Hall of Fame discussion, I don't want to know what your FIP was. I want to know what your ERA was, because I don't want to know whether you got lucky or whether like your predictions for next year. I want to know what you did and whether you got lucky or not that was what that was the season you had and that was what you should be judged upon in my opinion so anyway Alcantara, in sh- extremely strong season and era just over 2 in 230 innings and that gives him real weight in this conversation i think and i think you know if you just are opposed to pitchers being mvps in general that's one thing but i am not entirely I think they should be dinged, but not completely uh, completely erased from the ballot. So that was enough to put Alcantara at number four for me, above Freeman. I had Freeman at five and Alcantara at four. Um, because that eight B war, those 230 innings of, of basically two ERA ball, that's, that's really awesome to see, uh, especially in a time when starters are going fewer and fewer innings um, to see a dude who goes out there and th- throws six CGs. That was really valuable to me. Um, would have liked to see him, his Marlins, uh, put a better team around him, but hopefully in the next few years they can. He's only 26, by the way, which I did not realize. I thought he was more like 29. Um, okay. Anyway, so my top three, I have Freeman five, Alcantara four. And... I think this is going to go a little bit off the rails here. I don't think many people have this ballot for their top three, but I really appreciated Arenado's defense and also his strong ratings on both F-War and B-War. So I have Arenado winning the MVP. And I have Machado in second and Goldschmidt in third, partly because I'm dinging Goldschmidt a bit for his first base play. So, yeah, I've already said the stats. That's my opinion. I've got Aronado, Machado, Goldschmidt, Alcantara, Freeman.
1: Wow, that is definitely uh, not what I have, which is good, because if we all had the same thing, this would be boring. Um, so, yeah, just to quickly touch on your points on things, I think the Alcantara point is very good. And if I did consider pitchers, I I like exactly what you said. Um, I don't think I prefaced this when I was talking about what I discussed, but I only use F four. I am not a B war guy. Um, I've not to get too far into, it, but I've looked at the calculations for it, and the B war one just uses a lot of things that I don't use. So um, whether that's good or bad, I don't use B war. I just use F four, um, and then for pitchers, I don't even use war. I think it's a dumb statistic for pitchers in general. So anyway, um, so yeah, when I was looking at the four guys, the Goldsmith, Freeman, Machado, Arenado. It's just, they're so close. They really are super close. And I think Goldschmidt just has the edge offensively uh, by a good margin here. Um, and and so that was really the only difference because like you said, uh, Arenado, obviously, supreme on defense. Um, based on how you voted and what you said, you could clearly weight defense a lot more than I do. I think it's important. And I think it's something that you should use, or I shouldn't say you, something that I use as a... Uh, difference maker if things are really close but i really look at offensive production and war i think you know if a guy's war is significantly higher and he has worse offensive production well then yeah he's probably a much better defensive player to the point where it's significantly more important but um let's just for real for the purpose of this looking at comparing arenado and goldschmidt um arenado put together 7.3 war F4 versus Goldschmidt 7.1. And you look at a WRC plus difference where Goldschmidt has 177 and Arenado has the 151. Those are the best and worst of the four finalists that I'm considering. So clearly, Arenado, just by looking at that, you can tell that Arenado is a better defender by a good margin because he put up more war while being a somewhat marginable worse hitter. And not that he's a bad hitter, it's just Goldschmidt was unreal. So for me at that point, I had to decide how much I weighed defense um, and you'll see in my ranking. So I really wanted to, I really wanted to get Freeman in there because I felt like he deserves to be a top three MVP candidate, but I just couldn't, I, I just couldn't because he's on that loaded team. Um, and I don't feel like he was better than Goldschmidt. I don't feel like he was better than Machado or Arenado. And because of that, given his team, I put him at fourth. Now for me, Uh, Third came Nolan Arenado. Your MVP winner was my third-place vote recipient. Um, Yeah, I just don't weigh defense enough, and I looked offensively, and him and Manny are extremely similar offensively, and Nolan Arenado is a better defender. The reason, to be honest, that Arenado made it over Freeman for me is because he won the Platinum Glove Award, and he has such a elite defender, Um, but I had Arenado at three. Number two, did come Manny Machado, and obviously then, therefore, Goldschmidt was number one. I I mean, Goldschmidt was, like you said, 77% better than the average Major League hitter. Um, Freeman was only 57 52%, and then 51 for Arenado, 52 being Manny. So, um, with all the wars being so close, almost negligible at this point, Goldschmidt was just a better hitter this year. Uh, I think that's pretty obvious to say he was probably the best hitter in the National League. And it was by a significant enough margin for me that I couldn't – there's no amount of defense in my eyes that you know it would have to be something where Goldschmidt was the worst defender in history and Arenado put up the season he did. It's just really tough for me to do that. Um, And then, okay, so the reason that I had Manny at two over Arenado – Yeah, that was
0: the thing I was going to ask you about actually because I totally respect your decision to put Goldschmidt over the pair of them um that's because arenado and machado are so similar so it's really you just you have to group them together and put goldschmidt either above or behind them but i would love to hear your rationale for machado over arenado and i'm presuming it has to do with the uh carrying the team factor yeah you're presuming correct so i sat here for a
1: long time And honestly, Machado, Freeman, and Arenado was really tough. Goldschmidt was the easiest decision for me in this whole thing to put him at one. So when it came down to Freeman, Machado, and Arenado, I sat here a long time and was just looking at the stats, looking at the stats. I mean, like you said, Arenado and Machado are almost identical on every offensive statistic. It's kind of scary how identical they are. And then obviously, Arenado has the edge defensively. Um, So then, therefore, if I'm solely going off statistics, I would have Arenado 2, Machado 3. But I had to wait because it was so close. And again, I don't weigh defense as much when it comes to MVP voting as you do. So I was looking at it, and I was thinking, okay, Manny carried a team. Arenado didn't quite carry a team. He had Goldschmidt. And I would say Goldschmidt at times did a better job of carrying a team than Arenado did, especially because for a majority of the season he was in the triple crown running. Um. Yeah, I just feel like there is something to including intangibles, and they were so close for me. And I think if if it was solely on offense, Machado, in my mind, had like, t- like a slight edge over Arenado. Like if I could only decide I would have had Machado over Arenado, Arenado probably jumped him with the defense, but then because of the intangibles of what Manny did for the Padres, and without him, Padres don't make the playoffs. Without Arenado, the Cardinals make the playoffs. I gave the edge to
0: Manny. All right. I think that's totally fair. You want to move on to AL MVP?
1: Yeah, I think we should. So let's kind of get into that. Um, Obviously, Johnny and I use the same statistics uh, as we would have in the NL MVP. Um, The only difference here is I'm including a pitcher who is also a hitter, um, and I'm sure Johnny is as well. And this is going to be probably the biggest discussed thing at the awards because you have... Kind of a two-headed race, in a sense, for the top. Uh, I don't think it's unfair yeah, to say that. Sure. And it's between Aaron Judge and Shohei. Um, and then number three, we, we can discuss that in a little bit. Um, I think it's important to start with this. Aaron Judge had one of the best offensive seasons of all time. And Shohei Otani had an, probably a roughlet, an all-star level offensive season and an all-star level pitching season, borderline top five, probably a top five Cy Young season. Um, in the same season, he did that offensively and on the mound, which is, it gets so tough because we've never, we don't have something to look back on to compare this to. So at this point, it's personal preference. The thing with judges, his F war was significantly higher than Otani's. Um, it was almost a full two, uh, two points higher. Uh, judge finished the season with 11.4 war and Otani finished with a combined point. For war so it was it was exactly two uh, wins above replacement more than Otani so from that perspective judge was a better player um, but then how, how do you weigh Otani being as valuable as he was offensively and on the mound because it wasn't like he just did both he did both exceptionally and I'd love to hear how you kind of considered all that because it's, ah, wow, it's really tough. I don't, it's really tough to know how you go about looking at both these guys.
0: Yeah, and honestly, at the end of the day, this decision doesn't come down to stats. It comes down to which season you prefer. You, do you prefer the best offensive season since Barry Bonds and probably the best non-steroid season since Ted Williams? Or do you prefer the two way the only season that's ever existed like this, except for last season. (laughs) Um, and you know, yeah, I just said the stats can't capture it, but I'm going to try anyway. So judge 700 plate appearances, two Oh seven weighted runs created. Plus the only man besides Barry Bonds to be over 200 WRC plus in this millennium. Um, Played some center, played some right, rated out as a plus defender just slightly. So that's points in his favor still uh, was a solid base runner, 2.1 base running runs. As you said, 11.4 F4, also the highest total outside of Bonds uh, this century. So, I mean, in any other year, any other non-Bonds year, Judge wins in an absolute landslide completely unanimously. Um, And then there's Otani. So, you said top five Cy Young, and we can talk about that later, but yeah, that's pretty consensus at this point. He threw 166 innings with an ERA just over two, 172 ERA plus. So, 72% better than the average pitcher. As a hitter, 666 plate appearances, 142 weighted runs created plus. So, that adds up to... Thirteen 1, hundred and twenty-six played appearances plus batters faced. That's insane. That's literally double pretty much anyone else. And so it comes down to do you prefer thirteen hundred played appearances of uh what is that? Like one fifty-five, one fifty-seven combined? weighted runs created plus slash ERA plus value, or do you prefer 700 plate appearances of 207? And I don't know statistically what the answer is there. War would seem to indicate F war at least would seem to indicate that it was judge. He had a slight edge, slighter edge in B war about one win. But yeah, as I said, off the top, it's really just about which magical season do you prefer I'm not going to decide – well, I've already decided, but I'm not going to say my decision right now. I want to hear Logan's rationale first.
1: Yeah, I think I think you make great points. That's very to how I thought to it. Another thing you have to consider with Judge is he did break the AL home run record. True. So it's something that, while it shouldn't necessarily be a deciding factor, it's something you got to consider. I mean, it, it's a record. Um, man, it's so difficult um, because, like you say, how do you – how do you determine what's more valuable there? because I think anyone would say they would, okay, let's let's put it this way. Would you want two players on your on your major league roster who put together the season that Otani did as a hitter? and then you also get a second player who's a pitcher who puts together that season versus you just get Aaron judge, right? Um, man, I don't know. I don't know and I still don't think I know and I've made a decision. Um and I kind I don't know. I'm very interested to see what you say cuz I I was super strong on my opinion throughout the regular season <laughs> and some things
0: have changed for me. And for we sure. talked about this. But, we totally. We haven't talked about it right now, but oh, we yeah. talked about it totally all through the second half when it was becoming clear that this was going to be an all-time AL MVP race. Um yeah. So it's
1: very interesting. Um, I'm also curious, on a secondary note here, who you had considered for third place. Um, I only considered two other guys, both Mm -hmm. on the same team. I considered Jordan Alvarez and Jose Altuve. I don't know about you.
0: I considered Jordan Alvarez and a different second baseman in the American League, uh, Andres Jimenez, of the Guardians. Okay, very interesting. Because he had a very similar Um, offensive season to Altuve, but was significantly better on defense. And the,
1: the reason I didn't consider Jimenez was because um, his uh, – two reasons. One, he had lower war totals than Altuve, and his WRC Plus was lower than Altuve, at least in fan graphs. So I looked at the two, and I knew that Andres would not win it for me by any means.
0: So that is why I didn't include him. But um, you didn't even consider Altuve? I did, but I if I was going to put – I didn't want to get it to uh... – too stretched out here on my ballot and Jimenez. I kind of did a mini battle between Jimenez and l 2 and Jimenez won, So I considered him. Fair enough.
1: So then let's do this because we know one and two are kind of set. Who did you end up having in third place between those two?
0: I had Jordan. I you think. Jordan. Okay. So yeah, 561 played appearances of 185 WRC plus. He would have had a strong MVP argument in previous years, in non otani non-judge years. Um, 6.6 F4, about the same BOR. Uh, he actually rated positive in left field at DRS, but negative in OAA, so pretty much a wash there. Um, yeah, very strong campaign. 185 is an insane WRC+. plus. Uh, those don't come around very often, and to have him be so far out of the spotlight here with that number is pretty wild and just speaks to how awesome those, those two seasons from the top two guys were. Yeah, totally. And I, I had Alvarez at number three for me as well.
1: Um, like you said, the WRC plus is just so much higher than Altuve's and Altuve, put together 164 WRC plus. So it's very difficult to look at, look at Alvarez and say he was so much, uh, so significantly better, but he just was, um, And both of those guys kind of battled through some injuries, didn't play 150 games this year. So that's something to consider as well. Okay, so how did you go about the judge and Shohei thing? Let's get to decision-making time. How did you decide? What did you end up doing?
0: Well, I will preface this by saying that I really, really, really hope that for the second time in history, the BBWAA decides to award co-MVPs. Because I think that would be perfect for this. I don't think that diminishes either guy's accomplishments. I think you diminish them more by putting one above the other than by naming them co-MVPs. I don't know if that's legal in our PTC award system. If it is, that's what I choose. But if you're going to make me choose, (laughs) I will choose Otani by the slimmest of margins. Um,
1: yeah, so to respond to your question about can we vote for both, no, we can't. But I do agree, if there could be a co-MVP, uh, that would be phenomenal. I think that would be the most just answer to this solution, or to this problem, I should say. But um, but for me, I ended up going with the opposite that you did. No way. I went with Aaron Judge. Uh, wow. The reason being, just the fact that he was able to put an 11 and a half or season up offensively and just do it using offense is incredible to me. I watched him continue to go on that tear at the end of the season where the home run watch thing, that was incredible. And it just felt like he kept hitting homers and the, the, crazier thing to me is that not only did he slug at such a high percentage you want to look at how he just straight up hit the dude had 177 hits he walked 111 times you know his batting at his on base percentage plus was 137 his slugging plus was 175 and like you mentioned the wrc plus at 207 i haven't seen a guy finish with an ops above 1100 i mean it just the statistics offensively just jump out at you what Otani did was incredible and I mentioned this earlier I was on the Otani trade hard the entire year that's why I don't think
0: yeah it's not a bad decision by any means but you were so set on Otani the whole time
1: I was but man I it honestly for me came down to the kind of that final two weeks where judge broke the record um I think it's also important to say he had a much bigger impact on his team than Otani. Um, And I I hate the argument that Otani was on a bad team, so we should punish him. But I do believe that Judge had a stronger impact than Otani did. Um, And that's not based on record. I'm just saying from a straight-up win total percentage, uh, I think the. Yankees won more games because of Judge than the Angels did because of Otani. So
0: you think so, you think if the Yankees had Otani and not Judge and the Angels had Judge and not Otani that the Yankees would finish with less than 99 wins and the Angels would finish with more than yes, two or whatever they got. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no I do. I do. Hmm. D- Judge's offensive
1: impact is something that I don't know if we're going to see in the next 50 years. Um Otani's impact on the mound plus what he did at the plate, no one's going to replicate that exactly, obviously, from an offensive and pitching perspective, but he didn't necessarily do anything ungodly where j- what Judge <laughs> did is, is simply unreal. Well, I mean, just from assault, like just on the mound versus just on the pl- at the plate.
0: I don't mean as a whole package for Otani. Uh-huh. Yeah. I still can't get over, like, double the plays he affected that's it's a lot of value yeah no I, I get that
1: I, I don't think that's something that I will ever consider I, I'm not a huge fan of that but I do understand where you're coming from I also think for me um, it's really tough pill to swallow to put a guy who had two more war than Otani so that's kind of where my rationale was um, I just didn't feel right in doing that if I voted for Otani
0: so alright well, we've disagreed on both of them so far. It's good for TV. Or TV good. I or was a little con- worried we would agree too much. entertainment, yeah. Um, yeah, no, exactly. Let's keep going. Um, we need to move it along. NL Cy Young. This one was easy.
1: Yeah, no, this one was pretty easy. I, I would agree with you, especially the winner. I mean, yeah, I, I don't... Yeah, I mean... I, Johnny kind of touched on what he covered. I just I've brief, briefly touched on the stuff that I looked at. I looked at innings pitch, games started, um, ERA. Um, I did include complete games because I knew Sandy threw a lot of them, so I wanted to put that on there this year. I included strikeout numbers and percentages, but I ended up not even looking at that. Um, and, and to me, it really just comes down to ERA and WHIP. I mean, those are the only two things that should matter, and then innings pitch and games started. So... I think pitching is way simpler to view than anything else because people that use strikeout numbers. and I don't know how you feel about this, Johnny, but strikeout numbers. Who cares how you get guys out? If you get guys out right. and you have a low ERA, then you did your job. Um, that's yeah. I, I'm not a huge fan of those. Those are all predictive in a sense. So,
0: right. It's kind of the same thing with with FIP. Like it might be a better predictor of future success, yeah. but we don't. We're not talking about your future success. We're talking about the success you had this year.
1: Right. So like you said, I think both of us had Sandy at one. Um, that was fairly simple. Yeah. Best ERA uh, behind Julio Urias. Um, but then he threw, what, 50 more innings, 53 more innings than Urias. Threw six more CGs than Urias. Put together more war, if that's even something that you consider, but I don't. But yeah, I just think even though Urias had a better ERA, you the sample size for Sandy was just unreal. And To do that for 225 innings versus 175, the ERAs aren't different enough. There's not a difference enough in those ERAs to push Arias over, Sandy, for me. Um, What were you considering
0: for those two three spots? So it basically came down to the two other finalists in the BBWAA uh, announcement. So it was Freed and Arias. And it's very close. Um, Freed had 10 more innings, which is not an insignificant amount. Um, a slightly higher ERA, their strikeout numbers were identical. Not that that really matters, but, um, so the other two things I used, you said you don't really use war for pitching. Um, I already said a little bit about this. I don't like the Fangraphs war. So I use RA nine war, which is like a subset it's, it's found, it's still found on Fangraphs, but you have to scroll like all the way down to the bottom, um, and that's basically just RA nine, which is runs allowed per nine innings. Um, just how well you were, how how well you did at preventing runs, which is the job of a pitcher, and which is what we're evaluating them on uh, here in the MVP awards, or at least what I am. So I used RA nine WAR and B WAR, uh, which uses ERA. And Freed was had the slight edge in RA nine WAR and a little bit more of a significant edge in B-War. And that, combined with his greater innings total, uh, put him at number two for me, and I had Urias at three. Well, I'm glad that you had those guys like that, because I didn't. Um,
1: I had Urias (laughs) to free three. Um, Reason being, I think, again, like I said earlier, when it comes to pitching, ERA is the most important thing to me. And when they... put together very similar ending totals. Like a difference of 10 in terms of innings pitched to me is basically nothing. Um, and then I looked at Urias' ERA, 2.16 versus Freed, 2.48. To me, that's a big enough difference to where I can't, there's no other statistic that Freed can have to where, to tell me that he had a better year than Urias. Um, so I put Urias to Freed 3. I actually even considered other guys to jump Freed. Um, because you look at Zach Gallon, he threw the same amount of innings and had a two, five, four mm-hmm. and Tyler Anderson threw basically the same amount of innings to a two, five, seven. So I did consider
0: those two, but I did end up going with free for three. Did you consider, uh, Aaron Nola at the bottom of your list?
1: I didn't actually consider Nola because his ERA was in the mid threes, I believe. Um, I did, however, put a little bit of thought into Carlos Rodon with his Mm 2.88 ERA this year. Um, And the big reason at the time was when I was originally putting things together, like I said, I considered strikeouts. And his K per 9 plus is at 139, where you're looking at Sandy, who had a 94. So, like, it's tough to not consider Rodon, but I didn't really even consider him when it came down to the nitty-gritty there at the end.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I considered Nola just because he was... Uh, I think the only other NL pitcher to crest 200 innings, I guess Corbin Burns, I think, also had 200. Um, But yeah, Nola threw 205 innings, which I value a lot. But yeah, the ERA just wasn't really there. So I had him fifth, I think, Gallon fourth. Uh, And then Rodon in there as well.
1: Um, I think the American League is an interesting one as well. I'm curious what what you've... Thought about this one for me. Um, it was an easy one, at least at the top for number one, two, and three was a very fun, fun debate for mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what did you kind? Did you have Verlander at one as well? Was that, was that I an did easy one for you?
0: I did. It wasn't that easy, um, but it was easy. <laughs> it like it yeah. wasn't. It wasn't super clear, but it also there didn't really seem to be any other conclusion you could get to because. Yes, he didn't throw as many innings. He threw 10 fewer than Dylan Cease of the White Sox, 20 fewer than Alec Manoa of the Blue Jays, who were pretty much the consensus top three, I would say. Um, But his ERA plus was 220. He was more than twice as effective as the average pitcher. Um, Racked up seven R-War, or R-A-9-War. Yeah, there's really you know, Cease was excellent. Manoa was excellent. And yeah, that two, three battle was, was close. Um, but yeah, it's gotta be for Linder. Yeah. I think like you said, the innings pitch was the
1: only thing that allowed me to even consider someone else for the top. But at the end of the day, it's not low enough to where, I mean, listen to this whip. He had a 0.83 whip. That's crazy in 175 innings. So that's ridiculous. Um, so, like you said, there was a consensus top three. It felt like um, so the other two spots were either going to go to Dylan Cease or Alex Mano- or Alec Mano, excuse me. Um, I did consider two other guys. I, um, I'm sure you considered Otani, like I did, and the other guy for me was Shane McClanahan. Both guys only threw 166 innings, uh, almost identical in innings pitched this year. They were very similar pitchers in a lot of ways. Otani did have a better ERA. Um, I bounced McClanahan out of there because he did have a two five ERA. Dylan Cease pushed together at 2.2 this year, Manoa 2.24, and Otani at 2.33. So it kind of came down to those three guys. And Cease and Manoa just had bigger bodies of work. And at the end of the day, that was kind of the reason I kicked Shohei out kind of easily. But then for that 2-3 spot with Dylan Cease and Manoa, wow, that was honestly one of the most fun I had trying to figure it out. Because Cease had Mm -hmm. one more start, but he threw 12 less innings. Their ERAs are essentially identical. Their difference is 0.04, so you can't really consider that. Manoa had a better whip. He had a 0.99. Dylan Cease had a 1.11. But Dylan Cease did throw a CG this year, Um, but it was only one, so it's tough to even consider that. What else? Did did you have a tough time with those two guys too? Because I really struggled.
0: I definitely did. Um, I looked at ERA+, and Cease pitches in a more hitter-friendly ballpark. So he had a 180 ERA plus to Manoa's 174, and you know it's not a huge edge, but in a race like this, that was enough to to put him at number two over Manoa for me. Yeah, so i I was looking at
1: ERA plus a little bit too with this one. I I didn't include it in my initial ones, but with this one, I had to kind of expand because it was so close. Got to dig deep. Um, Yeah, I did, and so. It just—it wasn't a big enough gap to where I was like, okay, I can definitely say Cease was better. When it came down to it, at the end of the day, Manoa pitched 12 more innings, and he had a better whip. Um, That's a stupid argument. I honestly, it was such a coin flip for me. I ended up going Manoa. And okay. I still am not sold on that decision. But I don't even know if I would be sold if I chose Cease. I, I can't decide on this one. So I went with Noah just because he had a bigger body of work. He threw more innings and less starts. So maybe that was somewhat more valuable to the to the Blue Jays. I don't know. I really don't know. Mhm. So where did Otani land for you? Oh, sorry. Yeah, good point. Um, Otani landed four. I think that was pretty easy
0: for me. Otani was a consensus four Most. My, was- my thing. Same, same for me. I, yeah, I looked at Bieber. I looked at, um, Valdez as well, but really, yeah, not anyone, uh, on his level ERA wise. Yeah. Um, are you ready to
1: bounce to the the rookie of the year one here? Sure. Okay. So, um, I guess I'll start us off with NL rookie of the year, probably the more exciting one just because, and, and difficult, because you had two guys that were consensus one, two. It was, it's between Spencer Strider and Michael Harris, the second, both on the same team, both had very impressive rookie, uh, campaigns. Um, and they did different things. One hit and one pitched uh, third place. <clears throat> you know, there's quite a, a slew of guys that I considered and I'll mention them in a bit, but let's kind of talk about these one, two, because it, for me, it was, again, it was so difficult. Um, statistically speaking with Michael Harris, the second, excuse me, Michael Harris, the third, he, um, he put together a 4.8 war season, WRC plus of 136 His his OPS was 850. Um, he was above average on base guy slugged well above average, uh, almost hit 300, which I know is kind of not super important nowadays, but if you almost hit 300 as a rookie, that In 414 at-bats, that is pretty impressive. Um, Stole 20 bases. Kind of lacked in the walking category, but still hit enough to where he was an above-average on-base guy. So, um, Yeah, he had a great year, and then you look at Strider on the mound. He started 20 games for them through 130 innings. uh, Pushed across a 2.670 array. And while this isn't extremely important, he did have a a sub-1 whip, .99. So that's pretty impressive for a rookie for sure that's tough. I I don't know where your mind was at there, Um, but that's a really tough one.
0: Yeah. And kind of in the Judge Otani vein, it comes down to which one you prefer. It's so hard to, to compare apples to apples on pitching and hitting seasons. Um, But I'm just going to come out and say, I went with Strider just because of the pure dominance he showed, you know, for stretches there, he was basically the most unhittable pitcher in the league. Um, And Harris was a great player, but, I don't know, he was probably a a top 50 offensive player this year. And Strider, yes, he didn't really have that full body of work. Neither did Harris, for that matter. Um, But it was just elite, elite pitching when he was on the mound, and I want to reward that. Yeah, I actually agree with you. We're going
1: to agree finally here on a a tough one. I went with Strider too, and it was like you said, I mean – you look at the the work that he did, and I, I'd say they had somewhat similar bodies of work in terms of you know twenty starts versus four hundred fifteen at bats. That's somewhat similar to to each other in a way. Um, yeah, he was just pure dominance. I mean, the guy was just striking out major league hitters like it was nothing. Um, again, not that this was under my consideration, but his K per nine plus was a hundred and sixty. 160. He struck out 13.81 guys per nine innings. He struck out 13 guys every nine innings he threw. Um, Just quite an incredible year. And like you said, Michael Harris was a great player. Probably played himself to an all-star level player this year. But, and so did Strider. But Strider, with, uh, with what he did dominance-wise, it was more dominant than Harris for sure. And so I went Strider than Harris as well. I think the third one is it's really fun. There's a lot of guys in this consideration for me, uh, just to kind of list them really quickly. I did consider from the offensive perspective, uh, Brandon Donovan, Lars Newtbar, Jake McCarthy, and say Suzuki. And then from the mound, I did consider Nick Lodolo. And I briefly can gave Hunter green, uh, some thought because he did give the biggest body of, uh, of work in terms of game started and, and, and whatnot from the reds. So, um, yeah, did, did, did you consider a lot of other guys,
0: or was there kind of a easier route for you? Yeah, I considered them all, but I thought it was fairly clear that it was going to be Brendan Donovan of the Cardinals um, beating out his fellow rookie, Loris Um, I really liked his versatility defensively. Uh, he, I believe, won the gold glove for the newly uh, minted utility position in the rolling school glove awards. Um, And also had a a very solid offensive season as well. Yeah. And I ended up going
1: with uh, Brandon Donovan. So we, we have identical ballots here in the NL rookie of the year as well. Um, You like you said, it was just a very complete player, best offensive player. Uh, I gave Lars Nootbaar a run for his money as well. I, I did consider him because they're very similar players in a lot of ways, um, but like you said, Donovan was just a little better defensively, and he played a little bit more. Uh, ended up getting a hundred more A Bs than did Lars. So um, I, I do want to shout out Nick Lodolo. Um, not the biggest name because Hunter Green kind of takes that that crown, but he threw over a hundred innings this year to a three point six six ERA for a terrible uh, Cincinnati team in a bandbox of a ballpark struck out 11.4 per nine. So I definitely wanted to at least give him a shot. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how he continues to develop
0: as we go. Yeah, down. very strong so. second half. And he'll probably, probably be a, a popular breakout pick for next year. Very, very true. All right, let's take it over to the American League. Um, I'd be pretty surprised if you don't have Julio Rodriguez at number one. Uh, but I'd like to hear the rest of your ballot. Yeah, I do have Julio at one. Um,
1: though I will say Adley Rutchman gave him a little bit more run for his money than I can I originally than I thought would happen. Yeah. Yeah, they put together identical F 4 seasons, believe it or not. And Rutchman got I think what does that come out to 113 less at bats and they put together say now I know Rutchman plays in elite catcher uh position, which definitely helps him out. Um, The reason I went Julio, though, he just was a better hitter this year, and it also helps that he did over a big body uh, sample of time, but um, the rest of my ballot kind of came down to, for me, three guys I consider for the final two spots. Obviously, it was Adley, and as we're talking about him, I think it's fairly safe to say we both had him at two, Um, but then I consider Stephen Kwan, and Rodriguez's teammate George Kirby. Um, I gave Joe Ryan and Reed Detmers some some time on there but the, they were easily bounced out for me. Um but yeah, we came down to Stephen Kwan and George Kirby. Now, Kirby threw uh, 130 innings this year to a 3.39 ERA, um which is a very very good campaign for a rookie season. Can't conclude this, but man, he was pretty incredible in the playoffs against the the World Series champs there in the Astros, so Hats off to him, but that's not in consideration for a uh, regular season award like this. Stephen Kwan, man, that guy just hit, and he hit really well. Um, had 563 ABs, 168 hits, led all rookies in that. Um, you know, stole 19 bases. He almost hit 300. Uh, had the highest on base percentage plus amongst all these guys. Just didn't slug a lot. You know, Sly- he had a 102 slugging plus, so barely above league average. WRC Plus was the lowest out of all three of the guys that we talked about, and Rodriguez Rutschman and himself, and only put together 4.4 war. But I say that
0: and I still put him at three over Kirby. I agree. Yeah. And uh he came onto the scene super hot first couple weeks. He was like, you know, a revelation. And usually those guys who come up as non-heralded prospects and then have a great first month. Yeah, you know, they're kind of a flash in the pan type of deal, but no, he really sustained his production the whole year. Had a great approach. Didn't come out of it. Um, you know, didn't try to get too big. Once he found success, he stayed with his line drive approach, and it worked super well for him on a Cleveland team that he seems perfectly. He seems to perfectly embody their their team strategy. Oh, completely.
1: That's very very true. So, well, after lots of. Uh... Disagreement. We completely agree on both the rookie of the year ballots, so that kind of segues us into our final ballot that we have to consider here. That is manager of the year. Now, this one is a lot more difficult because you can't put statistics too much to these guys. Though I did try. I'm interested to see how how did you go about determining. Uh, Well, this one
0: I used the scientific practice of cut of jib index according to uh, Brian Kenny, a.k.a. Gut Feeling. I like that. I like Gut Feeling. Um, I
1: tried to make this somewhat statistic, and so what I did is I created a list of all 30 teams, but I'm obviously into the NL and AL because there is two awards for this, and I looked at what Fangraphs had them winning at the beginning of the year versus what they ended up winning as a team, and then took that net and put them in, a, in an order. Now, that wasn't exactly how I determined my top three. I think there's other factors to to consider, and you'll see that as reflected in my ballot. But that was the only way I could statistically find a way to somewhat, you know, determine this without just going with Brian Kenny's fun made-up stat um, that probably shouldn't just be made up, though, because gut feeling is, is a very real thing. Um, so what did that gut tell you about the NL Manager of the Year award, then?
0: Well, right now it's telling me I'm hungry but when (laughs) I asked it about the NL manager of the year, um, it had a pretty easy choice. And that was Rob Thompson. The three finalists were all on hundred win teams. Um, I'm not completely opposed to giving the manager of the year award to a guy with a great team. That's been called the the curse of a team. That's too good before. um, Because, Really, as you said, this award has basically evolved or devolved, or maybe it just always was like this, into, well, which team did we expect to be bad that was actually good? Um, And then I'll give them the award, because it must have been due to the manager that that changed. Um, And I don't fully subscribe to that theory. I think Thompson has a really unique case, because... He inherited a team that was bad under a future under a previous manager, and then they were good under him. And that's pretty much the clearest uh, evidence you can ever find of a manager influencing his team, because it's not like they you know got healthier under him. In fact, they didn't. They lost Harper for two months when he came in, um, and so that was really the easiest choice for me. Um, in the AL, it was a little more. Muddled. Um, you have the classic, this team is surprisingly good and, you know, doesn't suck like we thought in terms of the Orioles and Brandon Hyde. Um, you have Scott Service of the Mariners uh, as, as another finalist in the BBWAA. I didn't really think Service had a great case. His team won the exact same number of games as it did last year. Um with arguably a better product on the field. So I didn't give him too much consideration. And then the other finalist is Terry Francona. And this is where the uh, the cut of jib index really comes in because Tito, he has a great reputation, obviously, and I think he did by far the best job of anyone in baseball at creating a culture, and an identity for his team that directly led to their success. I think what he did with Cleveland, and I know it's not entirely him, he's probably got a great coaching staff that he would give lots of credit to, but the fact that he worked with a team that was extremely lacking in the power department, he really got them all to buy in to that contact defense-oriented 1980s Cardinals-esque team and that he actually got them to win the division in a division that they were completely not supposed to win. Um, I really, really liked what he did. So Francona was my pick for AL, Manager of the Year. Well, I liked everything you
1: said there, and I tend to agree when my gut was talking about it. Um, statistically speaking, the uh, the Dodgers won 14 more games than they were predicted to regular season-wise. The um, Mets also won 14 more. Uh, The Cardinals won 11 more. I'm talking about NL teams right now. Braves won eight more. So those are kind of, you know, the big differences ones. And then you have the Phillies, who won the exact amount of games Fangrass predicted them to win. Yet, it was so easy for me to decide to put Rob Thompson at number one. Because, like you said, they went from being a bad team under one manager, hiring him midseason, having his best star player go out, not healthy, to now all of a sudden they're a playoff team. I I think that is the utmost impressive thing and kind of embodies the award. So uh, I know he's not going to win this year, but in my opinion, and yours as well, he should have. Um, like you said, the 100-win guys, it's impressive, but they were all expected to be good teams. It wasn't like, oh, the out of the blue, they were all good. Um, you know, I, I put Dave Roberts at two and Walter at three, but you know they just won fourteen more games east than they were supposed to, according to fan graph. so but I don't even think either of them should win. I don't really think Snicker did that good of a job, to be honest. It doesn't surprise me that they won a hundred games. I thought they should have so um, yeah, that's how I look at that, but the nah or excuse me, the American League one was a lot more fun because, like you said, um, how do you view a guy like Scott Servais, who technically? The Mariners won 10 more games than Fangraphs have them projected to win. All great and dandy. But they were supposed to win more games than they did last year, right? They are supposed to do better, and they didn't. They basically did the same as last year. Um, You look at the Guardians, who, like you said, Terry Francona, phenomenal job, won 13 more games than they were supposed to. Orioles. Now, this was the biggest win differential you saw in the entire uh, Major League Baseball season. They won 18 more games than they were supposed to, and were fighting for a playoff spot throughout the entire year. And it'd be uh, remiss not to mention the Astros, who won 14 more games than they were supposed to win. Though, looking at that division, it kind of feels like, you know, that was about right. So I didn't give Dusty any credit here. Um, I did put give Scott Servais number three, and it came down to Hyde and Francona for me, and um, I ended up going with Hyde just for the sole fact that. At the deadline, on top of overperforming all year, at the deadline they lost some key contributors. Uh, their lockdown closer and Mancini, big clubhouse guy, was producing for them, uh, though he didn't as much for the Astros, and kept them in the race. They they were considered a team until probably the last second to last week of the season. They were always in there. Um, so I had to give that to him over Francona, but Francona did a phenomenal job. So that was tough. If there could be three manager of the year awards, I would love to give that out to thompson francona and uh and our guy over in in baltimore
0: and brandon hyde but yeah that uh, that was my determining factor for hyde there all right very solid i'd just like to mention i we tweeted this out on the pod uh twitter account at the ptc pod um when the season ended because this had never happened before in the history of baseball the orioles went 52 and 110 and then finished this year over 500. Last year, the Giants went 107 and 55 and finished below 500 or at 500. So that had never happened before. Either uh, a team going from 107 plus wins to 500 or the other way around. And also the team with the best record finishing behind the team with the worst record. Yeah, no, that's extremely incredible. I think it's another reason why
1: I wanted to give Hyde the award. Just the jump they made from the previous year was incredible. And uh, why Gabe Kapler uh, should get the manager of the Suck Award, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> he was terrible. So, um. Yeah, well, I think unless you got anything else, John, I think this will about wrap it up for us here on this episode. Ran a little bit long here than, than we're used to, but I think it was it was worth it, uh, given the, the tight MVP races and the significance of, of the American League one is just pretty incredible. So, um, yeah, I hope you guys really enjoyed. Johnny mentioned uh, our socials, so please go give them a shout. We'd greatly appreciate it. Um, off-season coverage begins now and does not end now. We have a lot of it coming your way, so we look forward to
0: getting that out to you all. Absolutely. Thank you for watching, listening, listening. Thank you for listening. Watching and listening. Bye.